Well, we obviously have uh, significantly fewer this evening than we had last Sunday evening. Uh, I've heard my dad make the joke a lot of times over the years that uh, when it's a crowd like this, that we have a real membership drive today. All the members drove somewhere else and went to services. Although in this case, this evening, that's literally true. Uh, but I, I'm thankful that uh, those uh, young people have the willingness and the ability to go in to help out a smaller congregation like that. And uh, nevertheless, we appreciate all of your attendance here this evening. Uh, last week, we did a lesson on Sunday night uh, over, well, we called it three great failures, Saul and David and Solomon. And I mentioned something to the effect that I think these types of lessons are good and valuable for us because we don't study some of these Old Testament narratives too often. And so with that in mind, I want us to sort of keep doing that for a while, at least uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, tonight, I want us to, to pick up and talk about another one of these Old Testament kings and see what practical lessons we can take from it. We're going to talk about King Asa this evening. This may be a story that's not quite as familiar to you as some of those we looked at last week. Asa was the third ruler of the southern kingdom of Judah. He was the fifth in the line of King David. We find accounts of his life in 1 Kings chapter 15, and then also in 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 16. We're going to be primarily in 2 Chronicles this evening. And I think his biography is an important one in scripture for us to know. Asa was not brought up to be faithful to God. His great-grandfather was Solomon. We saw Solomon's story, at least a, a brief bit of it, last week. And you remember that Solomon wavered in his devotion to God towards the end of his reign. His wives in particular, he married foreign women God had commanded them not to, and they took his heart away from the Lord. Uh, we see in 1 Kings 11, where we read last week, uh, you'll note uh, picking up in verse number five, that he went over, he went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. So Solomon built these altars, these images, these high places to these idols. And it's that unfaithfulness that actually resulted in the kingdom being divided after his death. Verse 9 of 1 Kings 11. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. You remember the story after that. After his death, the people came to Rehoboam, his son, asked him to lighten their load, and he refused. He was left with only a remnant of Judah and Benjamin to rule over. But Solomon's son, Rehoboam, then reigned over that remnant, and he too 
is presented as going astray. 1 Kings 14, verse 21. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Namah the Ammonite. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they had committed more than all their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So Rehoboam continued in that same path. And then he was succeeded by his son, Asa's father, Abijam. And the account of Abijam is extremely brief in 1 Kings chapter 15. The only thing that the writer of Kings notes about him is his unfaithfulness. Verse 1, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. You'll note here some of the gods who've been named. When we think about false gods, idols in the Old Testament, we'd probably think primarily of Baal, the Semitic storm god who was worshipped in, in Canaan and then further afield. Baal isn't mentioned here, he'll be mentioned in a few chapters, but some of the ones we have mentioned, Asherah, the Asherim, the high places built to her, she was a fertility goddess. And most abominable of all was Molech. If you're not familiar with Molech, Molech was worshipped through child sacrifice. In fact, the historical accounts tell us that the images to Molech were made of bronze and his arms were outstretched, palms lifted upward, and they would light a blazing hot fire in the idol, and it would superheat those arms, and they would place the children alive directly into his hands, and they would be burned alive. That's repulsive. That's horrifying. And the whole point of that is, in this little background here, this is the environment that Asa was born into. You'd think that he wouldn't stand a chance. And yet we read, now going to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse number 2. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places. He broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. In essence, Asa looked around and said, we have a mess on our hands. These pagan idols, these foreign practices, they've got to go. We got a clean house. We have to get serious about obeying the Lord, seeking his will, following his commandments so that he'll bless us in this land as he promised. What we see, note this, the first step in any spiritual awakening is demolition. We have to clean out all of the debris, all of the junk 
that's been accumulated in our lives. Rationalizing has to end. We can't make excuses for the sin that's in our life. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to see ourselves as we are, and we've got to sweep that all out of there. Everything that holds back our relationship with God. You know, I wonder if anyone said to Asa when he starts to destroy all of these places, we looked at his family history there, uh, you know, excuse me, King Asa, but, but your, your father built that idol. Your, your grandfather dedicated that incense altar. Are you sure that you really want to get rid of those? What do you think he would have said to that? Absolutely. Get them out of here. These are false practices. These come from the Canaanites. These are not things that God commanded us to do. Tear them down. So what this teaches us is if we want to follow God, really the first thing that we need to do is, as it were, to, to take a broom to our lives. Sweep out all of these things that need destroying. That's the first step. Sin grieves God. Sin quenches his power among us. And without that, without his blessing, we can never be what God intends for us to be. Asa saw that. And so his early years, he and the nation were blessed because of this national house cleaning program that he instituted. Unfortunately, though, seeking God, doing his will, doesn't exempt us from difficulties that come in life. Now, you go in any bookstore and you see uh, some of the religious books that are very popular today or you turn on a lot of televangelists and you'll find a very different message. That is that God wants to bless you without exception. If you follow him, you're never going to have any trouble. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, all of that sort of thing. That's not scriptural. I think experience has taught us here otherwise. And certainly it was otherwise for Asa. He was no exception. His godliness didn't guarantee him smooth sailing. For 10 years, his kingdom, Judah, had peace, they had prosperity, but then after those 10 years, chapter 14, verse 9, after those 10 years, Judah was invaded by an enormous army of Cushites or Ethiopians, same place, your translation will say one or the other. And in this moment of crisis, Asa found a reservoir of faith to meet it. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Merishah. And Asa went out to meet him and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Merishah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God. For we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. See, Asa's faith wasn't just something that he fell back on now when he had no recourse. He didn't see any other way out, so he'd appeal to God. Asa had been consistently seeking the Lord throughout his reign, and he'd made it a national policy to seek the Lord. And so now, in their trouble, they cried out to God to deliver them. And you know what? He did. Even in the face of those overwhelming numbers, verse number 12, 
So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. When we seek God and his will, he will bless us. That doesn't mean there'll never be difficulties. It doesn't mean there'll never be obstacles or challenges. But what it does mean is that we will never face those difficulties alone. He's always going to be there by our side. That's what Asa learned here. But when we stop seeking him, well, then all bets are off. It doesn't matter if we're a king or if we're a slave. It doesn't matter how powerful we are. It doesn't matter how intelligent we are. It doesn't matter who we are. That's the message that's reinforced to Asa in chapter 15. On his way home, we find verse number two, a prophet comes out and meets him in the army. And he says to him, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake, forsake you. In seeking God and seeking his will, the more we realize how much there is for us to do, how far we have to go to really truly be remade in his image. And that's what happened to Asa. He's, he's buoyed by this experience. And he looks around to see what else he needs to do now to seek the Lord. And he finds that the altar in the temple is in disrepair. And so he orders that repaired. And then he has all the people come together for a solemn assembly. They renew the covenant. And in verse number 10, they gather at Jerusalem for the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But then Asa is shocked to find that his own mother, Maka, still has an image of Asherah up. And so he goes in, he tears that down, he deposes her from her position as queen mother. Can you imagine that? The, the nerve to do that to your own mother. That's a wonderful example of complete, total, wholehearted commitment to God. What mattered most to Asa wasn't his culture, it wasn't his heritage, it wasn't his family, not even his mother. It was God. He put God in first place. That is a good example for us. And if we stop the story of Asa there, this would be a good positive note to end on. And I wish I could tell you that Asa continued to seek the Lord that way for all the rest of his life. But that's not how his story ends. 25 years passed, and I don't know what happened to his mental state, his spiritual state. Maybe he felt like he'd arrived, that he'd reached this sort of spiritual plateau, that he didn't need to seek the Lord anymore. Of course, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let the one who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
we never have fully arrived. We always need to be trying to draw closer to God because we always can stumble. That's what happened to Asa. One day, Basha, king of Israel, decided to fortify the city of Ramah. Now, Ramah was only a, a few miles, only about 10 miles, give or take, north of Jerusalem. And so in fortifying this city at the southernmost edge of his kingdom, this is a direct threat to Jerusalem, Asa's capital. And not only that, it's a threat even to trade in Judah. It actually says here, we're in 2 Chronicles 16. He did this, verse 1, that he might permit no one to go out or to come in to Asa, king of Judah. This is a great threat, a direct threat to Jerusalem. But on the other hand, you think about this compared to that army of a million men from Ethiopia 25 years before, and it's, it's nothing. It pales in comparison. So how would Asa respond to this threat? Verse 2. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, just as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I'm sending to you silver and gold. Go and break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. The man who'd built his success in life, who'd built his entire kingdom around following God, now hatched this plan to buy off a pagan king. And did you see that the worst part of that even, where he got the funds to seal the treaty? He robbed the temple. He went and he took the treasures from the house of the Lord. And of course, Ben-Hadad had no great love for Basha. He was more than willing to be bought. He, broke off his alliance with Israel, and he uh, attacked them, and they quickly backed off from Judah. Verse number four, he listened to Asa, Ben-Hadad. He sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basha had been building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. In other words, Asa's plan worked. It worked. I imagine he must have felt really proud of his skill in geopolitics. He thought to himself, well, I'm really smart. I've gotten myself out of the mess this time. People who think that way are in for a very rude awakening when they're judged by God. You can picture the scene here. Asa's court officials are still congratulating each other on this political victory, backslapping, handshaking. They've broken out the victory cigars, all of that. When another prophet, Hanani, appears on the scene, and he begins to speak in verse 7, and suddenly they're not feeling nearly so good about themselves. He says, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. In other words, there would be no way for Asa to ever oppose Syria in the future. He was locked in to an alliance with a pagan king now. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with many chariots and horsemen? And yet, because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have wars. Asa erred by trusting in his own power, in his own wit, in his own wisdom, rather than trusting in God. And this idea here, God seeking after people, God still looks for those who seek his will and whose hearts will be fully committed to it. In his power, we can face down any enemy and win the victory. We need to rely on him rather than relying on ourselves. Now, if Asa were a younger man, we go back to that young King Asa who sought after God, I imagine this sort of rebuke would have cut him to the heart and he would have repented, he would have humbled himself, he would have recommitted himself to seek the Lord for thinking up his own political solution instead of calling on the name of the Lord. But that's not what he did. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Verse number 10, Asa was angry with the seer and he put him in the stocks in prison for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The king who had once led an entire nation to seek God now became a hard-hearted oppressor himself. We contrast that with what we saw last week with David, his great-great-grandfather. David sinned greatly. He committed adultery. He committed murder to cover it up, and a prophet confronted him. And you remember what his reaction was? I've sinned against the Lord. It's no wonder that David was called a man after God's own heart. You see, if we're going to follow God, it's not that we remain sinless or perfect. People who love the Lord and people who seek his will still stumble along the way. Everyone here tonight loves God, wants to do his will. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But I don't think anyone here would say that they're perfect, that they don't have any sins that they struggle with that they couldn't clean up. But see, what distinguishes those who seek after the Lord is their reaction to correction, to rebuke, that desire to sweep that sin out of their life. And if only Asa, like David before him, had humbled himself and he'd sought God's forgiveness, who knows how things would have ended up for him. But that's not what he did. And the end of his life is pathetic. It's pitiful. We see finally that as an old man, he developed a very painful foot disease. You can picture him hobbling around the palace there, step after excruciating step. And yet, the chronicler tells us in verse number 12, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but he sought help from the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. Unlike Asa, we must seek God with a contrite heart. We must humble ourselves. We must sweep out, demolish everything that's sin in our lives. And we need to lean on him and keep leaning on him throughout our lives instead of leaning on ourselves, trusting in our own power, our own understanding. 
I believe that applies to most of us here tonight. Most everyone here tonight already is a Christian, but maybe you're here, what if you've never sought him? Our, our message tonight, we want you to take home, is twofold. God wants those who sought him once and have stopped seeking him to seek him again. But he also wants you to know that if you've never sought him, he's seeking you. We read a moment ago, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over the earth, looking for those who will serve him. God entered this world in Christ to seek and to save the lost. And he wants you to know that no matter what sin is in your life, there's no sin too great for him to forgive. There's no life that's so broken and helpless that he can't take it and completely remake it, refashion it, make it new in his image. So this evening, whether you've never sought him or whether you once sought him and you've wandered away, if you need to make changes, I want to urge you to make the decision to seek him again this evening while we stand and while we sing.